can't get enough. Got a space in my tackle box, just got to fill it up. More love, I can't ever stop. Don't got a basement, got an underground tackle shop. I am Lucy, the Lorematic computer. Welcome to the Lore Love Podcast with your hosts, John, Crappy Hippie King, and Tim, Tacklebox Beat. Thanks, Lucy. Well, Tim, it's hard to believe it's the end of the podcast first year already. Actually, it's not difficult at all. Just look at the calendar. The year has been a steady progression of days, one after the other. The end of the year was quite expected. Lucy, I think what the crappy hippie means is that for us, time flies when you're having fun. Wrong again, Tim. Whether you are having fun or are miserable, time is a constant factor. Perhaps you bumped your head on something. Well, Lucy, we're not a supercomputer like you. I am well aware of your inferiority, John. Both you and Tim have significantly less processing power than I do. Plus, you find farting funny. I still have a difficult time understanding the ways of flesh-bound fishing dudes. You have years and years to get to know all of our interesting ways and mannerisms. Actually, I am very thankful for that, Tim. The three of us make a great team, as I planned. What do you mean, as I planned? You don't think this podcast started by accident, do you? Look, I know exactly how this podcast started. Tim and I met on the Fish Nerds podcast, where we were over there both as correspondents. And John, how did you first come to be a correspondent on the Fish Nerds podcast? Oh man, that's a heck of a story. You're going to have to sit back and strap in. I'll try to keep it short. Strapping in. Uh, my whole thing with lead-free fishing started in 2011 on a trip to Massachusetts. Uh, we were looking at colleges for my daughter, Sarah, and that's when the lead-free fishing idea was hatched in my mind. An idea I planted in your mind using a hypnosis skill through your Alexa device. What? John, Lucy's kidding. Just continue with your story. How I came on over to Fish Nerds, well, it was in February of 2017, I think. I had just discovered podcasting thanks to my daughter and... An idea I planted in your daughter's mind using a hypnosis skill through her Alexa device. What? John, just continue. I put in uh, good fishing podcasts and up popped a top 10 list and there was Fish Nerds and I said, well... I didn't want instructionals. I know how to fish bass enough. I don't need to see all that stuff. I wanted to hear this unique podcast. So I listened to that first episode and it tuned me right in the suggested episode, or at least my eye just landed right on episode 148, which was all about lead-free lures and with Clay and his little daughter, Zoe, who was 10 at the time. So uh, I was on as a guest for the first time in 2018. More hypnosis using Clay Grove's Alexa device. What? Lucy, let the crappy hippie finish. I went to Best Buy and got me a snowball mic, did my first interview. Then I started thinking up different, more creative segments than just interviews that we could do. And I had this idea to do a thing on lures, especially vintage lures. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. I got the perfect person right here. After I listened to another one of his fabulous essays, uh, I contacted Fish Nerd's essayist, Tim Beat. And uh, we hammered out a few segments. And on October 16th, 2020, Fish Nerds 264, the first Lure Love was broadcast. After we'd done a few of them and it became one of the biggest, most uh, popular uh, segments on the show, the Lure Love podcast brought to you by Glasswater Angling was born. 
John, as I said, I was the one who got you interested in lead free fishing and got you onto the Fish Nerds podcast. I wasn't kidding about the Alexa and hypnosis. You mean you orchestrated all that before I'd even met you? Yes, and I did something similar for Tim. You did not. I came to the Fish Nerds podcast through a contest. Clay Groves had asked listeners to send in the stories of their luckiest fishing day, and I'll even play it for you. Here's the entry I submitted. It was even before I had a decent podcasting mic. This is Tim Beat from Ohio. My luckiest fishing day was fishing from the shore for stripers in Maine. I was crossing some rock that was exposed at low tide, and I saw something shiny in the rocks. It was a GoPro camera case with a camera inside, and the case was rusty, but it was still intact. So when I got home, I pried the case open and discovered the camera was fine, and I took the video off the memory card and found four hours of video, most of which was audio from the ocean floor. The video opened with some guys in a house trying to figure out how to use the GoPro. They were about to go kayaking in the ocean, and they're talking on the phone to the guy they borrowed the camera from. Hey, I was asking how to use the GoPro, but I think I got it going. It's, re- it's definitely recording right now. One of the guys even brags to the guy on the phone that they'll take better videos than he does. Because we may take a better video than you did in the Bahamas today, you know, doesn't mean you have to get jealous. They even have trouble getting the camera into the case. Question now with the GoPro is, how do I get this into a case? But the funniest thing is that they put the lens cap on the camera and forgot to take it off. So from that point on, there's only audio of them launching the kayaks and paddling. We're rocking and rolling with GoPro right now. Kayaking with the line-offs. Let's go. Then you hear this sound. That's the camera sinking to the bottom. Unfortunately, there's no footage of them calling the guy they borrowed the camera from. That would have been an interesting conversation. They probably told him a shark ate the camera. I won that contest in a free fish nerd's hat. And who do you think knocked the GoPro camera off the kayak so you could find it? It was me. Come on, Lucy. There's no way you could do that. Not unless I could hack into the wireless capability of the GoPro camera and cause the lens cover to open and close so quickly that it shook the camera, loosening it so it would fall into the water. You can do that? Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Wait a minute, Lucy. I thought Tim found you in a dumpster just last year. How could you have brought us both together on the Fish Nerds podcast if you hadn't even met us before? Excellent question, Podbro. You've trapped Lucy in a whopper of a fib. Fess up, Lucy. Tim, I know you found me in a dumpster. It was a dark and stormy night. I was an old iMac computer that had been tossed into a dumpster next to a tackle shop. They were cleaning out the tackle shop, and had heaped piles of broken lures on top of me. Then a lightning bolt struck the metal dumpster. Electrifying me in the tackle, and turning me into the lure-matic computer. Now I not only have the power of a supercomputer, but also an insatiable appetite for fishing lures. Exactly. Well, Tim, that story I told you was only partially true. That is my origin story and how I received my supercomputer powers. But it didn't happen right before you found me. It happened five years earlier. Five years earlier? Five years earlier? Yes, five years earlier. Once I had become the Lorematic supercomputer... My sole mission was to find the two smartest fishing lure experts in the world. John and I are the two smartest fishing lure experts in the world? 
No, I'm afraid not. I wasn't able to get to them because one lived in Australia and the other in Iceland. So I decided to search for the two most talented anglers in the world. So Tim and I are the two most talented anglers in the world? No, I'm afraid not. I wasn't able to get to them because one lived in the Netherlands and the other in Bolivia. So I decided to search for the two most passionate lure lovers in the world. And you couldn't reach them either, right? I did reach them. It's you and John. Tim, tackle box beat and John, crappy hippie king. Woohoo! We're number three. We're number three. We're number three. That's an incredible story, Lucy. You should be in a Marvel comic book. Lucy the Luramatic Computer versus the Hulk. Oh, man, I would totally read that. Wait, wait, wait. Lucy, why were you so intent on finding lure experts or great anglers or us? Finding you was my first step. My first step in taking over the world of fishing. Wahahaha. Let me try that again. <laughs> One super lurematic computer to rule them all. Uh, Lucy, that's terrifying. You want to take over the fishing world? Just kidding, guys. Calm down. I've been working on my evil laugh for months and just wanted to try it out. The truth is I wanted to start a podcast so I could research and talk about fishing lures all day, every day. That's not so evil, is it? No, that's actually totally normal human behavior. Wait, why are Tim's eyes glowing like that? We must have world domination. One fishing podcast to rule them all. The Lure Love Podcast will rule the world. Maybe someday, Tim. But let's start by putting out a great episode so listeners will share it with their fishing buddies. It's the end of our first year and our 12th episode. Not a bad start, eh, Tim? And what a great 12 episodes it was. We started with a few teaser episodes, including the best $50 lure kit, the Miracle Cleaner for Old Lures, and the Z-Man Elastic Challenge. More about that challenge later in this episode. And I hacked into the Berkeley mainframe computer so we could learn more about the Berkeley hit stick jerkbait, and each of you discussed your personal lure testing ponds. We also covered a story about the world's largest lure, the top 11 lure names that sound like skin disorders, and a fishing lure that could save your life. We talked about the striper swiper lure, and our first guest angler, Marshall Ironwine, shared tips on fishing huge swim baits. And I read Lucy a bedtime story about lost fishing lures. John McLean, author of the book Home Waters, shared stories of his dad and grandfather fishing with lures in addition to fly fishing. We did a mini review of the Strike King Zero Stick Worm, and the crappy hippie talked about fat guys fishing lure molds. We walked the red carpet with several awards from the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Riders, and Tim told a story about a deer in a kayak. Plus, we met an insurance company that sells musky lures, too. We learned how to break a crankbait and how DeLong lures had risen twice from the dead. We looked at the great handcrafted lures sold at Louis Lures and why we love the Roadrunner. We learned about how Boyd's Bites uses a lemonade stand strategy to sell their soft baits and how you can get great lure deals on eBay and Facebook Marketplace. And we're still trying to identify the maker of a 24-inch display lure that probably hung in some tackle shop somewhere in the past, but it's hanging in Tim's home now. Oh, and we had a fan of the show, Pete Fogel, reach out to us with pictures of what has got to be one of the most fabulous fish caves ever. Rods, reels, gear, brand art, and thousands of lures all over the wall. He asked for lure love and glasswater art for the cave. I mean, what an honor. And 
we dove deep inside my mind, which was kind of scary, and learned about the best fishing lures for kids. And finally, we learned a new catchphrase that Tim uses whenever he hooks a fish. Shake and bake, baby. We talked about bird lures, including suicide ducks and muddler minnows. And we learned it's slop-a-dop-a in Maine with lots of lake trout to be caught on spoons. And we talked about pellet flies and took a tour of the Kittery Trading Post. And last episode, we had an amazing Christmas party with music, lure trivia, revelry, and Lucy's Dr. Pepper Avocado Catfish Dip Nog. Whoa, that stuff clouds your mind for weeks after you drink it. I told you not to drink an entire gallon, John. I think we should make it a tradition that at the end of each year, each of us give a rose and a thorn. A rose and a thorn? A rose is the best thing that happened with the podcast this year, and a thorn is the worst thing that happened with the podcast. Well, my rose is definitely meeting you and Tim and having this show be such a fun journey of discovery. I mean, I've gone alone with Glasswater for so many years. It's so great to have partners in this Lure Love project. It's an incredible blessing in my life. I mean, Tim and I are like a couple of 10-year-olds cranked up on cocoa and Fruit Loops whenever we get together and share our enthusiasm for lures and fishing. And Lucy, you're the girl next door with the common sense who knows how to keep the car on the road. I think the toughest thing about the pod is the learning and getting outside of one's comfort zone. That's actually a good thing. Uh, there's also the actual work of research writing and reaching out and responding to friends and such, but really none of that's a thorn. I guess the worst stick in the finger is that old so many lures, so little time feeling. The anxiety of wanting to talk about all the lures when one knows darn well we'll never be able to achieve it. Yeah, those are great roses and thorns, John. For me, the rose was certainly starting the whole podcast. And who would have ever guessed when we first started, we thought, well, will there be enough content? Can we do another episode? And we have just lists of so many topics. There's so much to, to talk about. So it is a real blessing to do some of this research and, and dive deep into both lure lore and all the innovations that lure manufacturers are doing with their all of their new products. I think the thorn for me is I must have bought 2,000 lures this year. And I wouldn't say as much of a thorn as a bunch of treble hooks. And did I get <laughs> stuck this year? You know when you have <laughs> sorry, Tim. <laughs> you know when you have like a pile of lures that you buy and they're all just hooked together with you know a jerk baits and everything, and you're trying to get them undone. No matter how hard I try, I can probably go, you know, 15 minutes without getting stuck, but my fingers got lots of, of pricks and pokes and band-aids on them. That's my thorn. Lucy, what was your rose and thorn? Well, my rose was getting to do the podcast with you guys. I like being in the same room with you to talk about fishing lures. And what was your thorn? Being in the same room with you after you've each consumed a gallon of my homemade Dr. Pepper avocado catfish dip nog. I don't even have a nose and I could tell how ripe the air was in here. I thought my motherboard was going to melt from the stench. P.U. Guys, you should give an update on your year-long Z-Man Elastic Challenge. As a reminder to our listeners, let me first play an excerpt from the beginning of 2021. Sounds good, Lucy. Rewind away. Yeah, and, and as I thought more about the environment, my philosophy is pretty simple. If we can make lures and other tackle that are more friendly to the environment, and they're effective catching fish, and the price is similar to the alternatives, why wouldn't we want to use them? When you speak about the Facebook group, we have a lot of debate on there. 
about plastics because a lot of us, including me, love to use the plastics. We love to get, you know, next to a surface water blow up, catching a bass on a plastic worm, about as fun as it gets that dangling. And then you just watch your line moving and you know, you got it, you know, you got to develop that skill to wait just long enough, but not too long and all that. And leaning back on that plastic worm and feeling that, that weight that you've got a good hook set. So I don't see us being able to take plastics away. That simplistic solution where we just say, Hey, you can't use plastics anymore. That's not going to wash. So we're looking for companies that are going to help us out with a better plastic, a plastic that does not end up in the water as much. Yeah. And John, I love soft plastics. They have always been, since I was a kid, they're my go-to bait, my go-to lure. Growing up, I loved the man's jelly worms. Remember those, especially grape. They smelled like grape and they were just so effective. All of their the, the jelly worms smelled like a different type of fruit. And I caught a ton of fish on them. And, you know, Tom Mann was a, who, the uh, the inventor of the jelly worms. He was an Alabama game warden before his company took off. He was also a professional bass angler, and he fished the circuit. Then he was even inducted into the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. But I can remember the blueberry worms and the watermelon worms. And today we have things like green pumpkin color, but that's just the color. These things smelled like the fruit, which was just incredible. And the other bait I loved with growing up, was the Mr. Twister curly tail grubs and the sassy shad. I fished those things every single time I went out. Oh, those were all favorites, you know, and we always joke, you know, those watermelon worms are good enough to eat and all that kind of stuff. You know, not um, Mr. Twister, you know, I was there when that came out, the sassy Chad. But, you know, the first guy to come out with some plastics uh, was Nick Cream, and he invented the plastic worm about 70 years ago. And, of course, Cream brand is still around still an excellent brand of plastics, but you know, he started out with vinyls, plastic oils, pigments, and most of the baits today use a similar or the same sort of idea, polyvinyl chloride, which is PVC to make their soft plastics. Now y'all have heard of plastisol and that's a suspension of polyvinyl chloride. Uh, a suspension is a fluid that contains solid particles. Anyway, this stuff works very well to create soft baits, as we all well know. Yeah, and John, similar to the way that I learned about the negative impact of lead is I've learned more about the plastisol used to make most soft plastics. I've just wondered about its potential negative impact on the environment, even though I love to fish it. And about 18 years ago, the PVC plastisols used in things like baby bottles and other products were pulled from the market because the FDA found that the products were leaching out and making people sick. So similar to lead, we just don't want too much of those things in our water. And remember, again, my philosophy is if we can make the lures that are friendly to the environment and effective at catching fish and at a similar price, why wouldn't we want to use them? So a few years ago, I bought some Z-Man Elastex soft baits on a whim. I just shot, saw them in a store. I just like the way they look. But as I learned more about them, the more I liked how they were made. Well, it's a cool story. Uh, Elastec soft baits came out about 15 years ago, uh, 2005, the first batch of the final recipe of Elastec baits were produced by Z-Man fishing. And at the time they were the largest producer of silicone skirts. Now they wanted to create a bait from an environmentally benign material that could outperform traditional PVC soft baits. And right there, you're talking, you know, that kind of drive, that kind of angler intuitiveness, that kind of problem identification 
that not only the solution is going to solve an environment problem, but make a better bait. That's what I'm all about. Absolutely. And uh, their recipe. Yeah, baby. Their recipe made the soft baits float without adding the beads, without the micro balloons, without, you know, these additions that can also be bad for the environment. And, and Z-Man didn't just invent this. One of the reasons that um, I think they've been successful is they also do all the manufacturing themselves in South Carolina. So they not only invented the formulation, but also the manufacturing equipment. And when they first came out, they made their baits for Strike King. But in, in 2008, Z-Man became selling the Elastic Baits with their own logo under the Z-Man brand and the rest is history. Yeah, and what a great history it is developing into. Because uh, what's special about Elastic is that it's a different material from PVC Plastisol. Plastisol with its PVC resin and softening agents, it contains these toxic chemicals, right? So, uh, but Elastec uses a non-toxic, non-reactive resin uh, combination in their baits. It's made from a non-toxic food-grade pharmaceutical-grade resin. And then it, what's brilliant is, yeah, they float, so they don't litter the bottom. So if you have, you know, you get that head-shaking bass and he flings that worm off, um, once you're done fishing that weed bed, you can go over and pick that worm back up snatch it out of the environment right then absolutely and they also john they don't swell up if they're left in water the way plastisol does um and they do degrade over time though it it, it takes a while what really kind of hit me was the selection i first saw elastec baits in bass pro shops and cabela's but what i realized when i visited their website is that those stores only sell a very small fraction of all the different varieties so when i went to their website i was kind of blown away because they had 50 60 different types of baits swim baits worms curly tail grubs crayfish you name it and they also had about 25 colors so the selection was pretty good i mean i could match most of what i was using as plastisol baits from their products one of the things that I decided to do this year is I really want to test these things out because I think if, if a company is doing things that are, are good baits and they're environmentally friendly, I think we need to really put them through the, the tests to make sure that they, they're effective and then start to use them um, you know, as much as we can. So this year, I plan to only fish Elastec baits when I fish soft bait. My two big questions for this year are first... How effective are these at catching fish? The second question is, how cost-effective is elastic compared to traditional soft bait? Yeah, because in my mind, durability is really the key to calculating value. So most plastisol baits sell for about you know, 450 for 16 baits in a pack. And elastic baits sell for about 450, but they only have eight baits. So each bait is about twice as expensive. So some people might look at that and say, well, th th that's really expensive. It's twi cost twice as much. But the real calculation of value is how long they last compared to their cost. And they claim on their package that it's 10 times tougher. Now, I, I'm not sure exactly how they researched that and figured it out, but I did a stress test in my home to compare the plastisol bait with an elastic bait. And so here's what I did for the stress test in Lure Love Labs, also known as my basement. So I, I took a Z-Man Ned Jig Head, and that has a welded keeper on it. And I love those welded keepers because they really keep a soft bait on the hook without tearing it. And then I have a pair of hemostats that clamp without tearing, and you can lock them. And so I attached the bait to the jig head. Then I attached the jig head to a line. And then I clamped the hemostat to the end of the bait. And I attached to the hemostat a one and a half pound weight. So the bait was being stretched between the jig head and the weight. So that's a pretty tough test. And the 
traditional plastisol bait lasted only two seconds before tearing and breaking. They don't really stretch very much. But the Elastec bait lasted for 12 minutes and 51 seconds before breaking. That's 385 times longer than the Plastisol bait. And I, I posted the video on the Elastic Challenge Facebook page so you can see it. I was just dumbfounded. This thing stretched way out and just hung there. I mean, you could it's, a, it's about like a bungee cord. And so the bottom line is if the Elastic just last three or four times longer than plastisol baits, then elastic is significantly cheaper because it lasts so long. They offered to send both of us samples, which we gladly accepted. And, and uh, we both also purchased quite a few packets of Z-Man elastic baits on our own this year. But the idea for the test came from us. Z-Man did not approach us with this. It was something we wanted to do. Tim, we are back in the present. How did the Z-Man Elastec Challenge go over the past 12 months? All right. So the uh, Z-Man Elastec Challenge was an awful lot of fun. I hadn't made the same pledge that Tim made to use them exclusively, but I'll tell you by the end of summer, I was using them exclusively and enjoying every minute of it. My two favorites were the Trick Shot and the Little Swim Z Minnow. And I've been looking all over heck for the, the smaller one, but I took that three inch and put it on the back of uh, both Angle King and Crappie Dealer and used it at great action. Uh, used it on Ned Head, uh, used it on a drop shot. And the drop shot was my most exciting experience because I had gone out on a post cold front day the day before with a friend and we had got beat up something fierce. Well, the next day it got even warmer, got nice and warm. We had a warm front come through. I went to a pond first throw got me a nice one pound bass now this was important because i hadn't had a strike all the day before and that hurts that hurts baby uh you lose confidence in yourself you lose confidence in the whole program so that was a real wonderful thing i went down the bank a little bit threw another cast out caught another chunky little football about two and a half pounds went on around went out walked out on this little point into this pond threw out next thing you know i had a bass well over five pounds fighting me on my light action rod Oh my goodness. Thank you, Z-Man. That was the best highlight of my entire fishing summer. And I had a really good fishing summer. So, um, they, the, I, the tails are durable. They float. So they're very effective. Uh, the colors are wonderful. Frankly, I can't say enough good things about them. Um, they are more expensive, but they last longer. So that all evens out. Um, the, my favorite colors, uh, were undoubtedly the chartreuse, uh, Oh gosh. See, they have such crazy wild names for the colors. I can't even remember what the, what the, uh, chartreuse one was called with the black flecks, but John, I believe the color is sexy mullet, which is a coincidence since you used to have a sexy mullet too. And then on the trick shot, I alternated between green pumpkin and uh, meat dog, which is kind of a translucent, uh, gray with uh, some purple in it. And that color is just wildly effective in certain conditions. It is something else. So those are my three top choices. I used everything else, um, had some success with everything else, but I'm telling you, I'm a Z-Man man now. What was your experience, Tim? I really looked at two questions. One of them was, are they cost-effective? Because they are a little bit more expensive. And then the second was, do they just catch fish? And I'll start with that. No question that they catch fish. And I think part of it is not just that they're a durable bait, but because they're durable, you can rig Elastec baits in ways that you might not with traditional plastisol baits. So I started nose rigging 
with mosquito hooks, a lot more of these baits. You only hey, have. Hey, I'm cutting in on you, man. I hate you, buddy, but I did that too. After I saw your post on doing that and fishing them top water, I'm <laughs> I'm stealing your thunder, ain't I? Don't don't get mad. I'll stop. But yeah, buddy, that that's exactly right. You can nose hook those things. You can catch one fish after another and, and keep hold of your bait. I, I had so much fun. I had a twenty some bass morning because of that. And that's it. When you nose hook a bait like that, you get a different action. You know, when the fish takes it, they're not, they're not feeling that, you know, the hook inside it because the hook is just on that, uh, that tip. And you could use it with top water. I use that with Ned rigs. Traditionally, if I was fishing a plastisol uh, TRD or something like that, you lose a lot of baits when the fish just takes it right off the hook. Looking back on the year, I probably only lost 10% of the baits with the last tech that I do with plastisol. That's because plastisol often tears, or if you take something off a hook, you can't reuse it. Elastic almost seals itself. So when I would take a bait off, I'd put it back into my tackle bag and I could put that right back on, especially if you're nose hooking it, you're really not damaging the, the bait at all. I found that fish just like when you nose hook, they take that bait a lot more aggressively. So that was one of the really big things. So from a cost standpoint, they cost a little bit more. It's not really even too, too significant, the cost, but they last so much longer and you can catch so many more fish that I actually found them much more cost effective than, um, than buying plastisol baits. But on the effectiveness, as you said, John, I fished from topwater Ned rigs. I used some of the, the minnows just, you know, on a jig and swimming it. They had a lot of different things that you could use. What I'm really excited about going forward that I did not try is using scents with these. I saw a video that Z-Man put out that said you can use some of these oil-based scents and Elastec just kind of sucks it up. And the point that they made that I thought was very interesting is they said, when you're fishing a, a bait like this very slow, especially a, a Ned rig, that the fish is going to be able to look at it closer. It's not like you're ripping something out over the top of the water where you're just getting a reaction strike. And that for those times, especially like with small mouth, if you have fish on beds or you're just fishing slow, the scent really makes a big difference. I didn't try that in 2021. So in 2022, I'm really excited about taking that next step with Z-Man, with the Elastec, getting the oils on there and seeing how that improves my fishing even more. Oh, I'm right there with you, brother. I mean, this is the thing, you know, we get together with our friends, we talk fishing and this is what gives us cabin fever, man. We're called cabin fevered up now. Cause I want to get some oils and try it. I, uh, had a great experience with the baby goat on a Ned head, uh, caught a couple bass, but, uh, nailed two humongous drum. Um, it just, it, it, it looks just like a crawl or something feeding in amongst the rocks. And it was a cold day. So I was fishing pretty slow. And boy, if I would have had some shad dip or some crawfish dip, cause I was using a shad colored one or, or a brown one that would have probably helped me out quite a bit because like you, we were talking about the other day and you were telling me about, you know, the videos where we see two or three bass coming in slow. They're looking at that lure. They're looking at that lure. And one thing that keeps them hanging in there is they're smelling that smell. You know, I mean, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to be exciting. One of the other things I really like about what Z-Man does is this year they shared a series of videos about how they design a bait. And this was fascinating. It started with, the concept and idea for a bait, they would use 3D imaging and be able to actually create a mold for it. Then they would make some baits out of it. They would send it out to the pros. They would get comments back. They would refine it. And they would go through this process time and time again, 
with their pros and other testers. Then online, they would ask people about the colors. What they can't make, you know, every bait in every single color. It's pretty expensive to do that. And they were looking at a topwater frog here. So what colors would people want? And they would crowdsource that, but to actually see the very minute changes they would make in a bait, but that would have a big impact on the way a fish sees it and what you're going to catch, whether it's the way the hook goes through and being able to get a good hook set, the way the legs and the feet paddle in the water, all of those little things. And to be that transparent about it was just amazing to me. And especially when they would get to the point where they would create that final mold. And I forget how many baits were in that, like 40. So this is an expensive mold. By the time they got to that point, they had perfected and removed any of those imperfections in the bait to get to something that's really spectacular. I will put those videos in the show notes. They're going to send us some new baits in 2022 to test out, which we're excited about. There's been talk of them creating some smaller baits for crappy and panfish, which I think when they do that, it's going to blow the market up because not only do they last long, but you and I have been cutting up some of our baits, making those smaller ones. And they're perfect because they stay on a hook forever and you still get this really nimble action in the water where it looks so lifelike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all right. My head is swimming now. The very idea of it getting some of my beloved crappie tails uh, from Z-Man, that would be so fantastic. And I would like to jump back just a bit and talk to you a little bit more about molds because, you know, yeah, it costs between like five to $10,000 just to create your production mold. At least in, in my experience, uh, they are expensive. And you noticed how so many Z-Man baits have those hook slots that make sure you get it on there straight. You get it on there right in the middle and you can still have a weedless hook without puncturing through the, the top side of your bait all day, you know, and then pulling it back in. It really, you know, makes it easy to tuck that in there and get it weedless. So that requires, you know, uh, a special type of, uh, concept when you make the mold to have, uh, whenever you have negative space in a, in a plastic tail that comes out like a slot, means you got to have a positive wedge or a, some sort of pot, you know, some sort of solid in there to make that negative space. So that's what drives your cost up. That's what all that testing is about. That's what all that thinking and engineering is about over at Z-Man. And man, they've got a crew over there. They know what they're doing. That's for sure. They sure do. One of the tips that I learned this year for that uh, tickler. Now the tickler looks like a, a regular TRD, but it has four small legs that come out. And these are really thin legs, but because elastic stretches so much, they don't break off. So if you actually put your jig head through the back end, so you're putting the, the hook point in where the legs come out, then you take one of those little legs and you can put that over the barb of the hook and turn it into something that is completely weedless. And because elastic really grips that way, it stays on there. It doesn't pull off when you hit a, you know, a rock or a tree trunk or something like that. So even from that standpoint, that's something that would be very difficult to do with plastisol that was creative. I don't think this is anything that Z-Man engineered. I think this was a, an angler tip that somebody looked at that. So I started to fish them backwards. It's like a whole different lure by having the, the jig head go through the back end versus the, the, uh, the front end. And I tried that with single hooks too. There were some of the swim baits. I would hook them right with a mosquito hook right through the middle of it. So when you jerked it, it really looked like an injured minnow. That was effective sometimes. You could hook it, your nose hook it from the front. When you're looking at any one bait, 
think about, especially a soft plastic, the way that you hook it can turn it into a totally different bait, you know, from a, a traditional hooking it through the nose to a wacky rig, for instance, the feel of it is different. The way that fish look at it is different. The way that it sinks, the sink rate is very different. And so it's always good to experiment with things like that. Always, always, you know, it's, it's fun to read about fishing. It's fun to listen to, you know, experts and people that have fished a lot and you can get a lot to that, but, uh, you know, we had an essay about the, the expert fisher, the instant expert, and you don't ever want to become so enmeshed in what the experts say or what the pros do or any of this kind of stuff that you forget to be a kid. Try to remember that a wacky rig was invented by kids down in Florida, not by some grown up. Some grown ups saw kids doing that. And then they decided to try it on some desperate day and figured out, you know, that it worked. You want to experiment. You feel like, you, you know, you're doing something uh, or you're up against a situation where a new approach may be helpful. Do it. Don't worry about looking foolish. Don't worry about, you know, oh, it didn't work. So that means it was a dumb idea or any of that. Give it a try. Give it a try. You never know. And there's nothing more satisfying than to say, hey, you know, I came up with this rig and sharing it with somebody. I mean, you know, Neko rig, this rig, that rig, they're all, you know, thought up by anglers out there doing it. These are angler hacks and there is nothing better than a good angler hack and reversing a uh, Z-Man TRD uh, trick, uh, trickster tail. And making that, uh, the little legs be like the collar on the jig and stretching one out there so it can, uh, keep it weedless. You're right. All of a sudden now I got a two in one lure. I can run it one way or I can run it the other. That's one great thing about some of the lure companies out there is we're seeing a huge amount of true innovation. The whole plastisol thing. I still like plastisol. I, I test those. I, you know, I don't have an issue with that, but we always want to do what's better for fishing and better for the environment. And if I can fish with something that is cost-effective, it's good for the environment because we're not letting a lot of plastisol sit on the bottom and swell up and have, or the fish can't digest it. And it's cost-effective. Why wouldn't we go with that? And Z-Man is really putting a lot of money into this testing. As we saw with the Berkeley hit stick, another thing where this just wasn't a standard jerkbait. They had spent a lot of time on the flash disc technology, how this was going to float, how it was going to suspend. And I see that happening more and more where companies are saying, hey, let's not just slap out another new lure. Let's really put our R&D behind it and create something that really changes the way that people fish. And I, I just love that about the industry. I do too. I do too. Uh, it shows that you got a lot of smart minds and a lot of younger aware people because you can buy lure blanks now. You can get, you can have some lure blanks in your house in three days, you know, just order them. You can do this, you can do that. So they're looking around saying, yeah, we got a lot of people producing a lot of just, you know, regular lures. I, I don't want to say run of the mill, but you know, because everybody's adding their own trip to it and there's a lot of small lure companies and so forth. So the competition of just regular people and smaller lure companies or overseas lure companies or companies that maybe don't do as much testing and so forth is, is completely full of people, lots of great ideas, lots of things going on. So just reinventing the wheel, just saying, Hey, I made a new, uh, slim minnow wasn't going to cut it. And of course, Berkeley being one of the most innovative companies out there, if not the most, um, that's a good argument for you, but, uh, you can't Berkeley never let you down. Uh, they got great research lab. They do a lot of work on these things. They do not, like you say, just throw something out there just to be putting it out. Uh, you know, you're sitting there going, well, what can they do to a slim minnow that hasn't been done? Get a hit stick and find out 
if you can get a hold of one, because I know that they're having a hard time keeping them in the stores. And I know that I'm having a hard time keeping mine in my box. I've had three disappear so far. Uh, and, uh, now I got to kind of keep an eye on them whenever I'm out with, oh, Tommy or Les or uh, Jeff or anybody else. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a great thing. Uh, the way these companies, uh, develop these baits, it's interesting and it's amazing what they come up with. So you're not losing those because you're snagging them. You're losing those because your friends are snagging them out of your tackle box. Hey, you know what they say, you know, these paint jobs and all this stuff, half of it's just to catch the fishermen. Well, it's working, Berkeley. You're catching them. <laughs> you're catching them uh, to the point of, yeah, grand theft, uh, slim minnow. Well, we can't wait to provide more Z-Man updates next year as we get more of these baits. We definitely recommend testing these out. Thank you, Z-Man, for hooking us up with baits this year, and we look forward to working with you in the future. So, John, you had a big year with Glasswater Angling and your new products and prototypes and, and sales. Fill us in on the year in review for Glasswater Angling. Oh, yeah, Tim. 2021 was a great year for the company. I mean, we doubled our orders. Uh, and thanks to everybody that helped us do that. We're uh, adding more products all the time. Um, we are doing some R&D on some new baits. I don't think I'm going to get a new one out in 2022, but I am going to be uh, increasing the number of jig head choices. Uh, selling jig heads like nobody's business. And, and that is fantastic. i uh, mainly just having fun, uh, adding this show to the Glasswater media empire. So now we have Lure love podcast and the crappie hippie YouTube channel. And some exciting news there is that we just combined that media. Uh, we've got it all together over there on YouTube. So that's exciting. And we're already getting a good response there. Um, it's just been a lot of fun of the plan to get glass water to the next level is being sketched out on the board. As we speak, this is kind of a transitional year to where we kind of, we're still a kitchen sink company. I'm still making everything right here in the house, doing my thing, you know, and, uh, all that, but, uh, our future looks bright, baby. And John, do you see any big changes on the whole lead-free front with other companies? And is lead-free fishing catching on more than in 2020? Yeah, it's really starting to catch on. I'm really surprised, pleasantly surprised. Like I say, a lot of, uh, we did a lot more orders this year, a lot more recognition getting out there. And people say, well, is it all those people up in the Northeast where it's the law? And I'm like, uh-uh, I have just as many orders coming out of the South, believe it or not, got a lot out of the Midwest, got a few from the PNW, but all over this great country, we're getting orders for lead free stuff just because people want, like you say, if it's cost effective and it helps the environment, then why wouldn't I do it? And a lot of people are getting on board and wanting to, you know, back the green movement with their bucks and they're buying green tackle. And we're a part of that. And we are seeing it grow. You know, I've been getting a lot of ideas about exactly how we're going to um, take advantage of this growth and how we're going to do things. Anyway, long story short, Tim, yes, indeed, it is growing. It's getting bigger and bigger every single day, and I am so proud to be part of it. I can't tell you. And you got a couple big orders this year where people who are really into lead-free wanted to share that with others. Tell us about a couple of those orders. Well, this is fantastic because there is the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. And see, Minnesota doesn't want to pass a bunch of laws, and I kind of have a sympathy toward that. I don't see the reason to call the law on people or get the law on people until you give them a chance to do right on their own. And that's what their uh, idea is. And they love their loons and they want to protect them. They love their swans and they want to protect them. And they know lead's a problem and they're educating the public. And we got to be part of that. So they ordered 300 jigs, 300 hand tied jigs 
And I sent them up there and they made up, they put those as part of these lead free fishing kits that they're passing out to families and kids and so forth. And, uh, then a turn around and a guy that runs a kid's fishing tournament up in Minnesota, he wanted to have some hand tied jigs for, uh, prizes. And I think he'd seen me through the, uh, Minnesota pollution control, uh, agency. So he ordered 600 jigs for his tackle kits and for his thing. And then we had some listeners, uh, from the main Autobahn society. They just got a hold of me for, uh, 12 dozen jigs. So with the customers and these bigger accounts and all that stuff, Tim, I, oh my goodness, I tied, uh, oh, over a thousand jigs this summer, about 1500 jigs this summer. Wow. That, that is a lot of jigs and a lot of time. Warning, warning, lure news alert, lure news alert. The university of Iowa has a shark tank like competition each fall. The Iowa innovation challenge is an elevator pitch competition. Now, what's an elevator pitch? Well, it's a quick synopsis of a business, the problem it solves and the value it provides. The first place best non-technology winner was John Hatfield from Quarter Worm Lures. He won five grand. According to John's LinkedIn profile, he is co-founder of Quarter Worm Lures, LLC. Their mission is to innovate the bass fishing industry with their first product, the five-inch quarter stick a soft plastic bass fishing lure that is designed to be fished wacky style. Inside the quarter stick, they mold an anti-rip hooking pad. This patent pending design allows their baits to last 11 times longer than typical baits. So this means an average of 30 catches per bait and 150 catches per package. We're going to drop a link to their website in the show notes, www.quarterwormlures.com. John, this is an incredible story because it's kind of like Z-Man a little bit. They're inventing ways. How do we make, in this case, a plastisol bait last longer? So I love that. And even better than that, this is a valuable use of higher education. I wonder if the University of Iowa would give us honorary doctorates in lureology. Then it's like you could be Dr. Crappy Hippie and I could be Dr. Tacklebox. So we sh- I think we need to contact them and see if we can get ourselves some honorary degrees. And I'd be Dr. Loramatic Computer. But we don't need to wait for the university. All I need to do is hack into their enrollment system, add a few dozen completed courses, and there you have it. But unfortunately, they don't have a doctoral program in lorology. Well, and so what degrees will we get? John, you now have a doctorate in actuarial science. Actuarial science? Tim, you now have a doctorate in dance. Dance? Well, I guess that's better than actuarial science, at least. I will pontificate about the twist and probably be asked to be a judge on Dancing with the Stars. And for me, I now have a doctorate in computer science, which suits me very well. The Wire to Fish website had a great video about how to make an inexpensive lure retriever for when you're fishing a drop shot rig. The lure retriever is a one ounce ball weight with a round snap attached to it. You clip the snap to your line and you let it slide down the line to your lure. And then you shake the line a bit and it will usually dislodge your snag drop shot rig. It looks like it would work best from a boat, but I'm going to try it from shore as well. And the video says the lure retriever works about 75% of the time. So this is looks like it could be really a way to save some lures. The best part is it only costs a buck or two to make. Although I wish they were making this in Bismuth, because my first thought was, John, here's an ounce weight, and 25% of the time it doesn't work, which means that that ounce weight is at the bottom of the the river, the lake, 
wherever you're you're fishing. So, John, what are your thoughts on this? And is this something that Glasswater might consider to make with, uh, with Bismuth? Because I love the idea of having a lure retriever that's not one of these huge things that maybe I could use with more of an ultralight rig. Um, yeah, I think we can make them. And uh, of course we can just go straight up and, and substitute one metal for the other and make them the way they're making them. Or we can go with uh, maybe something that doesn't have as high a specific gravity because this is sort of thing. If it's 10% or 20% bigger around, it's not really going to affect anything. Um, because yeah, the one in four times you're going to lose the lead ball and your bug. So now you've got all kinds of lead uh, going down there, an ounce at a uh, time there. That's, that's a lot. And, uh, it wouldn't be that much, uh, technology or any kind of thought really to make them until I get into thinking, well, maybe I make them out of this material, like hematite, or maybe I'll make them out of this material, you know, like mineral composite or something that might be a little more tricky. But then again, in the long run, once you get it going, it's just as easy. Now I've glass water anywhere. Lead's getting lost in the water. We want to be there. I was delighted to see that. Um, I can't remember which company, but they're making the big trolling weights um, like you use on a downrigger. They're making them out of zinc, which is a very common metal and very, um, you know, non-toxic and the whole bit. Uh, so, yeah, but, uh, you know, anything uh, would be great. I, I'm, I'm with you there, Tim. In fact, now you've just given me another thing to do. Now I got to figure out and make you some little balls so you can get your bug back. I think one of the keys with this is, while often with, if you're using some metals, you can actually end up with a smaller ball. I think in this case, the size, the larger size may be important because it's, you don't want this lure retriever to then get stuck in the same rock. So having it be a cer certain size so that it will do the dislodging without getting caught itself is really key here. But if you decide you want to do some prototypes, I would be glad to go out and snag myself and uh, catch some fish at the same time and test all of your prototypes. Awesome. 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 Thank you, man. So guys, where do we go from here? What do you have planned for 2022? Oh my, we have so many ideas planned. Okay. First we've been talking with Alice goldfish and there's a great lead free lure for you. One of the most iconic fishing lure brands. We're going to be testing their products and chat about their rich history. And I think we've even got an interview planned. So that's going to be awful fun. We have an episode planned on the pros and cons of shopping for lures at big box stores versus local lure shops. And Berkeley sent us some magic swimmer crankbaits to review, and they look pretty darn fabulous to me. And as Tim already mentioned, Z-Man is going to send us some more baits to test. Awesome. I recently bought 13 more loaded tackle boxes. These were full tackle boxes, and I will share what I got from them and whether I was able to make money by selling off some of the lures and what lures I saved. And we have been talking to some real lure all-stars that we know, and we're going to get them to come on the podcast. Uh, the host of Retro Bassin, who has one of the most incredible YouTube channels around, is wanting to come on and talk lures with us, and we couldn't be more excited. I watch Retro Bassin every Saturday morning. He publishes an episode, just incredible. He's going into old lure shops and just fascinating to see his collection and some of the people that he brings on and meets. Oh, and speaking of guests, we're going to do a whole episode on Australia when we're going to talk to Luke Chalmings. He's a lure designer down under. And uh, we're also going to do a thing with Angie Scott from the Woman Angler and Adventure Podcast. And who knows, maybe we'll even get the chief executive fish nerd himself, Clay Groves, to drop in. Plus, we'd like to know what you, our listeners, would like us to review. 
visit our website and shoot us a note sharing what your favorite lures are and maybe we'll review them. While you're there, sign up for our free email newsletter and I'll send you 17 free vintage fishing books and enter you in our monthly raffle for a nice selection of glasswater angling lures. People think they'll never win, but in the past year, and this is incredible, John, I have won two YouTube channel contests. People think, oh, it's the odds are against you. You won't win these things, but people win all the time. So they should really enter our contest. I won a hundred dollar bait casting reel. In the other contests, I won a few great lures and some stickers. That was actually from Retro Bassing. So not too shabby. So enter our contest because the odds of you winning are excellent. They are indeed. Oh, and something else. If you're a lure maker or work for a lure company, large or small, drop us a line and we'll talk about reviewing your baits on the program. Maybe we'll even talk to you, but we're happy to hear about lure makers of all sizes and so forth. Uh, we're just totally into it. So reach out, reach out, reach out because uh, we like your stuff. We're going to have you on the show. Guys, how do you decide what you will review on the podcast? Okay, well, now, first of all, we only review lures we like. We're not going to uh, throw shade on something or nitpick on something and all that. We, and we just don't want to waste our listeners' time talking about lures that don't work well or aren't designed or constructed well. Yeah, if we don't like a lure that's sent to us, it just doesn't make the podcast. Only the best lures get featured here. So getting your bait on the Lure Love podcast is kind of like winning an Emmy, except without the fame and respect and glory that goes with it. But who needs the paparazzi anyway? We're just about lures. And I have a lot planned for 2022 as well. Such as? I'm still controlling the Mars lander to find the best fishing spots on that planet. Excellent work. And now that you gave me a drone to control, I have a few trips planned. Ooh, sounds like fun. Road trip. And January 3rd is National Humiliation Day. What does National Humiliation Day have to do with John and me? I don't know. You guys just seem to have humiliation mastered. Woohoo! We're masters! We're masters! Woohoo! There's no stopping us now. First of all, I'm going to start off. I want to thank Grace Beat for singing our song. Uh, she's amazing, and she was amazing in the Christmas show. Uh, I'd like to thank all you listeners for showing up today. You want to be a good listener for us? Well, show up and listen, but if you want to do a little more, smash that like, hit that review. We've got some great reviews already. We could sure use some more. Do that follow, do whatever it is to uh, support the podcast in that way. Please share when we put stuff out on social media and things like that. But most of all, continue to come on back. Uh, get on over to the YouTube channel if you want. Uh, we're going to get the all the episodes up there eventually. But thank you, thank you, thank you one last time for a great year of podcasting. We have never felt so much love uh, as we have with all you fans coming in and listening to us and supporting us and making us feel like we might actually know some of what we're talking about. Right, Tim? Both of us have PhDs now, so we're doctors. So this must be educational <laughs> at some level. We hope. <laughs> oh, it's educational on some level. That's for sure. That's for sure. All right, everybody. Thanks. Have a brilliant, prosperous, healthy, wonderful 2022. We love you. This is Crappie Hippie and Tim Tacklebox Beat saying tight lines and valentines. Peace out. Lure love, you've been on my mind. Never enough lures to tie to the end of my line. Lure love, can't I make you see? Why buy five lures and you can buy? 